morning. Good morning. Welcome. Thanks for being here this morning. For those of you online, thanks for joining us online. My name is John Arelli. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Hoping that you're enjoying not getting flooded out with water this morning. Hopefully your home was safe and uh, the mosquitoes will be kept down. I think that's the one holy thing, that holy tension we were talking about last week, mosquitoes. I didn't mention that's one of my biggest tensions. Uh, hopefully they're kept down after all this water. Uh, we're going to begin with worship this morning. We've got a great gift for you, our worship team online. Ethan and Eva Valdez, they're online this morning. So those of you in person, you're going to be uh, worshiping with our team that is online. For you online, this is the best worship service you get all month because they're produced for you already. So uh, if you're here, would you stand with me this morning? And uh, if you're at home, stand with me this morning. Uh, I'll be leading you in communion after worship, so you may want to grab uh, juice and uh, cracker, whatever you use for communion in these COVID times. And uh, I want to welcome us just with a simple liturgy. It's a liturgy that's used in the church for 2,000 years. It's three words. It's just, come, Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me this morning? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. This isn't some... Of us ordering you around. It's just the cry of our hearts to open the door of our hearts this morning because we want to welcome you into all of life. Whatever we're bringing with us this morning, whatever uh, you want to do in us this morning, we welcome you into all of life. So we open the doors of our hearts. We say, come, Holy Spirit. And uh, it's possible that Ethan and Eva will lead us in that same way. Ethan and Eva, would you lead us this morning in worship? You may lead us in the same liturgy. Who knows? Good morning, Mission Vineyard. We are glad to be leading worship with you this morning. Thank you for allowing us to lead worship, even though we are virtual. Um, we are so thankful to be part of this church and um, that we still get to play, even though we're at home. So thank you guys, we appreciate it. Well, during this time, we are just going to open up um, the space in worship and we do that by inviting the Holy Spirit to be present here. So if you would, just pray with me. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for the opportunity that we get to gather together in person and, and virtually um, to praise your name. Lord, with uh, life being crazy um, for the past year, um, it's nice to have this this place to meet and have this sense of security and knowing who you are and being a part of your church, Lord. Father God, we pray that you would send your spirit to be present during this time, uh, that we would be able to feel your presence and experience your healing um, no matter where we are, Lord. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's worship.
Father, we thank you for this time of worship, and we thank you that your mercy, your forgiveness covers us. No matter what we've done, what we will do, Lord, your love is greater than anything we can do, and nothing can separate us from you. Holy Spirit, would you just continue to move during this time of worship? Would you bless our speaker today? Would you bless our pastors? Bless our church, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. We're going to move into a time of communion. Thank you guys for leading. You can have a seat if you're standing. You at home, you can have a seat if you're standing. I just want to wait for a moment. I feel like the Holy Spirit's still up to something. Uh, I think it has to go along with the prayer team. Prophetic prayer team was praying this morning, and, and the words that they got this morning were of someone who's carrying a burden that Jesus, uh, that needs to be put down. They're carrying a burden that needs to be put down at the cross of Jesus. And someone who wants to come to the Father, his arms are wide open. There's something in this last song, especially, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Can we just go before the Lord for just a moment, just between, let's just take just an extra minute in silence. Lord, have mercy. And whatever, whatever needs to be laid down, can we lay that down right now? Have mercy, God. Forgiving God, forgiving us. the things that we clutch to our hearts, Lord. For the things we don't even know how to release, Lord, have mercy. Just a sense that God's still doing a work, like in the waiting, in the silence, God's doing the work. Just let him do the work right now. We wait on the Spirit awkwardly because we believe that He works in our groans and in the places that we don't even know how to groan. He's powerful and loving and amazing, and we get to sit before Him and be served by Him, especially in those places that we don't know what to do. This is what this meal is all about as we come to the table of the Lord. Where he puts the meal before us and he says, it's been a while since you let me serve you. It's been a while since you let me wash your feet. It's been a while since you let me take all your burdens for you. It's been a while since you just came to me with the places that you don't know what to do and let me take them on for you. And he took simple bread and a cup of wine with his disciples. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. I serve the meal, and the meal is myself for you. 
and he took the wine and he said, this is my blood. It's a new covenant. It's a new start. It's a new place for you, no matter what's going on. The places that you don't even know where to start from. I give you myself for you to put every sin and burden and every fail and every sickness that you have and you put it on my body. And every place where you don't know where to start, I give you new blood to start with. It was on the night he was betrayed, the night where his disciples said, I don't want you, and ran off. And Jesus said, this is why. Because even when you run away, I serve you a meal. I'm there for you. Let's begin again. And so would you eat with me his body, this mysterious meal? And would you drink with me to the king and his kingdom? Jesus, we worship you and we receive this meal from you. This meal we can't make on our own. Every sin, every joy, every place we don't know where to start from. We thank you, Lord, for being there for us and giving us a place to start. We thank you for this blessing you've given us today in this meal. And we bless it as a community in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got some announcements this morning. I think Kate Edwards has recorded some announcements for us, and I'll come back and welcome our speaker for this morning. Welcome and good morning. My name is Kate Edwards, and I am pleased to welcome you to our church service this morning. Whether you are worshiping with us in person at the Duceum or you are joining us online this morning, we are so glad that you're here. If you are a new face to us, especially um, here in person at the Duceum or online, welcome. Um, we hope that you received a bag when you walked in this morning and a connect card to learn more about what's going on in our church. We would love to hear a little bit more about you if you wouldn't mind filling that out. Uh, your, you can add your email address and we would love to add you to our weekly newsletter that goes out by email, letting everyone know of happenings that are going on in the church family. Speaking of which, um, this afternoon we are kicking off a new worship small group. It is today, Sunday, from 3 to 5 at the home of Destiny and James Forward. And this is just going to be a fun gathering and fellowship. And no experience in worship is required, but simply a heart for worshiping our Lord. And it's going to be a great time outside at their home Bring a lawn chair so you have a place to sit and just a heart ready for worship. There's more details about this group and all of our small groups that meet throughout the week and on a monthly basis. You can check that out at smallgroups.missionvineyard.org. We would love to see you at one of those throughout the week or one of our monthly groups where you can get connected and get to know others in the church. And so with that, I am going to pray over our service this morning and also for all the gifts and tithes and offerings that are being given. So Jesus, we thank you for this morning, for this day that you have made to worship you and bring you glory. I pray that today our hearts will be open to the words that you have us here, Lord. Bless our speaker today, Father. I also pray blessing over all of the gifts, the tithes, and the offerings that are being made, whether they're online or uh, in person, Father. Would you bless the Bless the church and bring you glory, Father. Thank you for all that you have gifted to us, and may our gifts, tithes, and offerings be a reflection of our love and worship for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ben, would you join me? Y'all, this is my friend Ben Blackwell. Uh, we're friends in like two or three meetings and a phone call, I think. But I think we're still friends. Yes. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, we're friends. That's <laughs> great. I'm friends with Ben Blackwell. Um, ben is, would you, you, you work, you have a job? Yeah, I teach at Houston Baptist University, and we have a seminary there, Houston Theological Seminary, and I help direct that. You help direct the seminary there. Mm -hmm. I, I got my Master's of Arts in Theological Studies from that university. I know. It's, uh, I can't uh, take any credit for that because he came here the year that I moved to Houston. So uh, we, we have some common friends from there, but uh, I, I'm sure the program is fantastic now, and I wouldn't have 
gotten such a low GPA if you were there, probably. <laughs> uh, so we're, this is the last sermon in our series on big questions. And I wanted to make sure that we invited Ben at some point uh, this year, because you invested a lot of time and energy, uh, not just in this question, but in the theology of the kingdom mm. and what it means to live in God's kingdom in the ups and downs and the already and the not yet and all the ways that we, we love to live in this tension. You actually have studied a lot about that. And so I'm just so thankful that you and your wife have made the time to come out and uh, to just share who you are with us in the midst of that. It's not just about the head knowledge. It's you love living by the spirit in these ways. Mm. Uh, so thank you so much. Yeah. Can we just pray for Ben before yeah, be great. we get started? Is it all right? Lord Jesus, thank you so, so much for what you're doing in Ben and his whole family at HBU. And we bless the program there. We bless, we bless Ben's work there. And we bless um, who you are in him, God, his identity that's in you. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that would be grounded and centered and just made uh, fresh and anew and strong this morning as uh, you speak through him. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. Be strengthened. God, thank you so much for this morning. Would you welcome Ben Blackwell? Amen. Well, thanks. It's a pleasure to be out here with y'all. Uh, we actually came and visited nine years ago when uh, a team from the Sugarland uh, Vineyard uh, came to help here, and that's actually where I got to know John and Arlita a little bit better, and, and this... Uh, community, so it's a little bit larger than it was then, so that's uh, great to see how God is working and uh, the movement of uh, the Spirit among you and, and to share our common faith, you know, and that's the beauty of uh, showing up at a new place and, and feeling at home right away with everyone, so it's a blessing to be here. So uh, before, I had to let you know, though, that, uh, you know, sometimes I'm at a Baptist school, you know, Baptists are famous for having great preachers. Uh, before I went into academics, though, I actually was not in the church uh, in ministry. I was an accountant. So I need to let you know that you're, you're not getting, you know, the great preacher become academic professor. It's the accountant that becomes professor, right? So to uh, lower, and in fact, you know the difference between an extroverted accountant and an introverted one, don't you? It's that the extroverted accountant looks at the other person's shoes instead of their own when they have a conversation. So that's, uh, um, but no, it's a, a pleasure to be with y'all. And uh, before we came to Houston uh, 10 years ago, we had actually had the opportunity to live in England for uh, five years. And that's where I did my doctoral work. And uh, now we didn't live in London. So if you've ever been to London or seen, you know, everything, it's a huge city, very diverse. We lived in England as it existed maybe 100 years ago. So it was a, a town called Durham. It's a, a small, uh, there's a, uh, a cathedral there that's almost 1,000 years old. Uh, but it's like the West Virginia of England, right? Uh, I don't know if you're into census taking, right? West Virginia is one of the only states in the U.S. to have a s smaller population now than they did uh, 20 years ago or 150 years ago. Um, and it's the same way at this part of England where we lived in Durham because it's coal mining territory. And of course, as you know, uh, coal mining is uh, phasing out here, but it's been uh, phased out in England in the 80s. And so it just kind of uh, destroyed or devastated kind of the economy there. And so there's no kind of new innovation. But it's a great thing to do then is to go in and see how these coal mines worked. And so, in fact, they had a town that they, they took... Uh, they had all these little pits all over the area. They, they tore down buildings and they moved several of them into this one village to show you what it was like to live in England in 1900. So it's this little town called Beamish. So it's, uh, and one of the things that you do when you go to Beamish, of course you see the general store and you see all the things about the livery stables and all that, but they take you into one of these pit mines. And what it was is that you, you go into, they, in the hills, they would just dig a, a tunnel straight into a mountain, right? And the whole thing, the weird thing about it is like the tunnel, like we think of these big, huge ones, right? But they're having to do all this by hand or, you know, just hand mechanical labor. And so the tunnel is only about four or five feet tall, right? So they give you a hard hat and they take you down in this. And you go about 100, 150 yards back up in there, and that's when the, the side tunnels start to break off. 
And it's a bit crazy, right? I mean, because there's no uh, not electric lighting, right? I mean, electricity didn't hit the UK until, uh, I don't know if you're Downton Abbey fans, right? That was a big part of Downton Abbey when the electric lighting came, right? This is pre-electric lighting. And of course, you can't have uh, candles burning, right? It's coal, right? It burns, right? So you have explosions. So they have these uh, carbide lamps, uh, and, it, and it creates just this little small flicker of light. Um, and so it's dark, you know, small tunnels. Uh, in fact, I, I close your eyes to think about this, you know, as you're in there, you're spending eight to 10 hours a day in this tunnel. And in fact, what I learned was that the four foot tunnel, four or five foot tunnel, uh, that was just how you got in there. When, when you uh, were a coal miner, you actually drew lots every six weeks. And there are three heights of the seams of coal in there because it's not just all you know, coal in the, in the rock. Uh, so if you got the, 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 the good lot, uh, you would be working on a four-foot seam. So you could sit, you know, sit on your knees, that kind of stuff. Uh, if you got a medium lot, it was only a two- to three-foot seam of coal. And if you got the poor lot, it was an 18 inches. And so your whole day was spent laying on your back, right, harrowing out this coal um, and it's crazy can you imagine that life right the dim light you know close your eyes there the dim light laying on your back that's your job day in and day out for weeks harrowing out this coal can you imagine that life living in that darkness and that oppression and in fact that's what we're here to talk about today is is a passage in the bible that talks about where david was in the cave right he was in that place and it's not just a a, a metaphor or an experience of a job right it was a real cave it was the real pressures of life that darkness where you're struggling and that is the life that many of us are living now, right? The COVID cave. We've been in this year, probably the hardest year of life for many of us uh, as we've struggled with this. And so we're going to talk about what is it like to live in the cave, to be in the cave as believers and experience this struggle and this pressure. And it's a beautiful thing when we see David write this psalm. Of course, we get to hear how God is working in his heart and we remember that God does some of his best work in the cave. Now, before we get into uh, this psalm, we're going to look at Psalm 142 as the focus of our uh, talk today. But before we get there, I want to give you a little background story because you're like, well, I don't know. <clears throat> Hopefully, you know who David is, but maybe you don't know why he was in the cave. So we'll, we'll walk through that story just a little bit. So 1 Samuel tells uh, the story of David, uh, along with uh, Samuel and other uh, people. But uh, Saul was appointed the first king of Israel, and, and David came along. Of course, you, we know David and Goliath, right? And so through that event, David uh, becomes uh, and starts to rise the ranks. In fact, he marries into the king's family. Right? So, again, we're thinking of Downton Abbey here, right? We got Kate and uh, William, right, with this whole story, or Princess Di and the crown and all this about her marrying, these people marrying into this family. And so that automatically raises their stakes. And, of course, he not only is in the family, but he's this great musician. Um, he becomes a general in the army. And so everything is moving up. In fact, Samuel eventually anoints him, uh, the story tells us, to be the next king of Israel because God has turned away from Saul. And so everything is looking like it's going to go great for David. Uh, and of course, though, we see in the story that, that Saul turns away, right? His heart is turned away from God. And so he starts to pursue David and so David loses his job, right? You can't be the general if the king uh, fires you. Uh, he also loses his house then because he has to flee, right? He loses his job, his house, loses his wife even because remember, Michael, his wife, is Saul's daughter. Uh, and ends up losing his best friend, Jonathan. Jonathan is uh, Saul's son. And so now Jonathan remains faithful to David, but they can't, right? Jonathan, there's this whole parting scene where Jonathan sends him out because they know that they can't be together as friends anymore. And of course, if David had lost his dog too, he could have written a uh, country song about him, right? <laughs> um, but I mean, we laugh and, and it's funny, but it's the whole thing of like everything, right? Can you think about it? Your house, your job, 
your spouse. What else left is there? And so at this point, David goes off and he actually gets a, a, a step worse because the Philistines capture him, right? So the bad guys in the Bible there. And in um, 1 Samuel 22, it says that uh, David fled uh, Gath, the, one of these Philistine cities, and he fled to a cave. And so we don't know exactly if this is the point where he wrote this uh, psalm, but it, it's highly likely. And so David had been anointed be, to be the next king of Israel, right? And moved up. Everything seemed like it was working that way. And then everything, everything comes crashing down. And it turns out that it was 14 years from the time that he was anointed to be the next king to when he ruled over the United uh, kingdom as they had there. 14 years he had to walk through uh, these struggles. <clears throat> and it's at the cave is where he's at the low point in that, where he's struggling, right, and walking through this. So uh, we're going to see at a point, but it's a really important for us to grasp that it, it's not a, just a point. It's not just a point in time, but this actually represents years of his life. And as we uh, go through and we talk about what it's like to be Christians that live in the cave, that experience the cave, this isn't just a one-time thing that we face oftentimes. Uh, we often face these struggles that go on for years, chronic illnesses, uh, anxiety and depression. Uh, maybe you had a, a family member that has uh, un untimely death or there's this regret that when they died, I, uh, one of our Professors, uh, David Capes, um, I think you had John. His son died of cancer about a year and a half ago. And one of the things that he, as I processed that with me, was the fact that um, they believed God was going to heal his son so much that they never had those final conversations. And he had a lung, uh, lung cancer. And so when he made the turn, his son couldn't talk anymore. And so he has borne, right, this regret, right? And it, it's not going away, right? It's not one of those things that you just are healed of, right? And so as we talk about David in the cave here, we need to recognize, like, we as Christians go through not just points in time that are really hard. We go through points in time that for years, maybe, maybe for your whole life, right, that those with different... Um, problems and disabilities. And as believers, then we have to ask, where is God in that? And that, that's the, I guess, the question I'm after. And in fact, I was, uh, it was nine years ago when I came to visit here and met a couple when they were uh, meeting in the north side of town uh, that was a, a, a wonderfully beautiful and, and tragic example of this. Uh, it was wonderfully beautiful in the sense that uh, they were on the verge of divorce. They've been separated weeks from signing the paper, I think, uh, in just a few days, actually, if I remember right, the story. And I uh, met John and Arlita, and uh, I believe the husband came to faith first, and then the, uh, his wife came to faith, and they reconciled, and they came back together. And it was this beautiful story of reconciliation and transformation in their life. And yet, that wasn't the end of the story. Uh, she's had a medical condition that caused migraines, and so they're spending lots of money on medical bills and things like that. In fact, they had gone through bankruptcy, and their wages were being garnished, right, the, to pay off their debts. And so this question of, like, this miraculous transformation of their life and marriage, and yet at the same time, they're going to walk, right, for months, years through these other problems that are there, and that's who we are as believers, that we, as John, right, the language of the already and the not yet, that transformation of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the life of Christ is here even now. And yet that kingdom of Satan and the, the problem and corruption of sin and evil is still here with us, and we live in both of those. It's, it's not an either or, it's both at the same time often. And so as we walk with Christ in death, we also experience the life of Christ, as Paul says. And so it's this uh, setting then that when we come to this psalm, 
uh, and we hear David's prayer that we get a better sense of like that this is not just David's words, but these should also be our words. And so um, I, uh, we, we coordinated here to have the exact same shirt. So you, you know, as we uh, spoke uh, last night, but um, Randall, right, is going to come and he's done some translation work, if you didn't know, on uh, the Psalms. And it was a divine timing. We had a flat on the way here on Friday night and actually had to turn around and go back to Houston. Uh, and I left my Bible there. And so, um, of course, we got the technology, but uh, we're going to have actually a reading of a text here of this prayer uh, of uh, David. The preface to this psalm is the David Maskeel when he was in the cave, a prayer. With my voice, I would cry out to the Lord, pleading out loud to the Lord for mercy. I must pour out my complaint before him, declaring plainly my heartache to him. Although my spirit is weak within me, it is you who knows my way, that on the path along which I travel a trap is hidden for me. Oh, that you might look to the right, seeing that no one is paying attention to me. Any escape has vanished for me. No one cares about my life. I cry out to you, O Lord, saying, You are my one and only refuge, my own inheritance in the land of the living. May you give heed to my cry, for I have sunk very low. Oh, that you would rescue me from those hunting me. They are too powerful for me. Free me, I pray, from this prison so that I may give thanks to your name. Let all those vindicated gather round me because of your dealing so generously with me. Amen. It's a beautiful thing there. So as we come, now there's one thing I believe about art is like when you dissect it, like this is the same thing with uh, sometimes the Bible, we dissect it and you kill something when you rip it apart, you know. The whole idea of art and, and these prayers like this are that uh, as we see them as a whole. So I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna go uh, word by word or verse by verse here, but help us to think what is the image that's being portrayed and the reality that's being portrayed here. And the first thing that I want us to think about in this Psalm is that David's just being honest with God, right? He's real about his problems. He, and, and this is sometimes as, as we think about uh, life and reality, it's like the real life is the resurrection and any of this stuff down here, it shouldn't really be going on. And so we, we either mask it or we hide it or we tell everybody we're fine. I mean, all, that's the, uh, you know, the classic thing that we do at church. You know, how, how, how are you doing? I'm fine. You know, everything's good. And in reality, um, you know, it's not that way. And particularly when you have to wake up day after day and you walk through the struggles of these things, we're not fine. And I think it's important, like in, in David's prayer here, in this lament psalm, that he is laying out the reality. In fact, saying, you know, and probably he overstates it. No one cares for my life. Of course, he was in the cave with other people and things. But it's that sense to where the fullness, the weight of all this is upon us. And in, in fact, the reality of this, I think, sometimes escapes us. But there, there are 150 psalms in the Old Testament the most occurring or most frequently occurring type of psalm is a lament psalm, these psalms like this. So what does that tell us? Righteous people suffer. God's people suffer. Right? We tend to have that idea of, we live more an idea of karma. If I do a good thing, then good things will happen to, to me. And yet the whole thing of, of psalms and proverbs and Job uh, Ecclesiastes, what's, what's called the wisdom literature, is that actually God's people suffer a lot. And so this expectation that everything's going to be fine is not a reality. And so that in David's prayer, he's honest with God about his real problems. Uh, and sometimes just even naming the problem, right, uh, and being honest about it, accepting that we are, are experiencing it is is a huge hurdle for us at times, particularly those who are charismatic, that we think that God should have transformed this, right? If we believed God enough, maybe the Spirit would have done this. 
And yet God allows his people to walk through these things. But of course, he's not just complaining to God, but he's turning his dependence to God, right? At verse 5, it says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So in that sense, it's not just uh, the inward, right, struggle with this or complaining with other people, but it's a dependence upon God in the midst of that. To know that you're walking with Christ as we as believers are walking with Christ through these problems. That God has not abandoned us. uh, That he is still there. But it's even not just that. And this is where the already and the not yet becomes even more explicit for us as believers. Is that we have this hope. David has this hope that God will act. In verse 7 near at the end of this prayer he says, Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous or those who are vindicated will gather about me because your goodness to me. Right? He ha- he's suffering here now, and he has this hope that God, God is going to act in the future. There, there's a, a fancy theological term, right? I'm a seminary professor, so I had to give you a big, long word here. of Eschatology. Usually we think of eschatology as like uh, a time of fear or who's the Antichrist or when's the tribulation going to happen and that kind of stuff. And the whole idea of eschatology is things are broken right now and we have the hope that God is going to come work and bring restoration in the future. And so, of course, as believers, we know that restoration has already begun and the death and resurrection of Christ and Pentecost, right, we'll be celebrating um, here soon, the coming of the Spirit, the day of the Lord has already happened, right? This eschatological, this transformative change in history has already happened, and yet uh, the, the not yet is still going on. And so he has this hope in the midst of the suffering. And so as we see David's life, right? He had that hope. Of course, he lost it in his suffering, and yet he still has this hope and expectation that God will continue to work in the midst of his lament and grief. In a way, a a former pastor or theologian had given uh, this way of describing this, is that we have a birth of a vision here, and then a death of a vision, and then God's supernatural fulfillment. In a lot of ways, we see this all throughout the Bible, like with the Exodus, right? They had the birth of vision of they're going to be let out. And of course, they get to the edge of the sea and God, you're going to kill us, right? And then God supernaturally shows a way through. Uh, or with Abraham, we see, of course, this happens with David. Now, nothing seemingly miraculous happens to put David on the throne, right? God works through these ordinary situations, course, it took 14 years between the, the birth of that vision. He has this, of course, death of the vision, and it takes years for God to work in his providence to lead this through. But it's that, that call to remain faithful and to walk with God in the midst of this. Uh, I experienced this myself. Uh, my wife and I, we were, uh, went to a Baptist school in Arkansas, uh, Heather, who is here, so doesn't want to be the spotlight up here, but we uh, were looking to go to France after we went to seminary. So uh, went and got training there and uh, went and visited the mission team there in Paris uh, for a couple weeks as we we're exploring how's God going to work this out. So for several years, we've been working towards this kind of goal. And after we got done, uh, Heather's intuition, her sense there uh, was uh, clearer than mine and that we didn't need to go. And I was just, it was one of these things like you've been heading somewhere, had that birth of vision, and then it just like uh, comes to a brick wall. Well, so uh, not heading overseas, I've got a seminary degree, going to go into ministry. For several months, I started applying for ministry jobs. And... Um, trying to get outside the Bible Belt a little bit, so the Pacific Northwest, New England, things like this, and just crickets, nothing. Rejection letters or no response. In fact, I got a rejection letter from a church that I hadn't even applied to. That was, I don't know if they got my name off a job board or something. That was the low day. It was clearly a death of the vision at that moment, right? And so you have to ask yourself, God, where are you? I've spent eight years of my life, thousands of dollars investing in this, and it's going nowhere. And again, it wasn't just a moment in time. It was about a year, year and a half of walking through that. And so it, these are not always slow, like God just swoops in and saves you moments. We walk through this, and it's a struggle. 
Now, it worked out. Uh, I uh, had this dream, or I didn't really, uh, it couldn't envision the dream actually before I got there, but we wanted to go to, uh, in the future, go do academic work, or I did. And so God moved that forward. We ended up moving to England and, and had a dream experience there. It was a great community to live in. It was the university. Uh, my supervisor uh, was a very godly man and um, at a, basically a state university. And so that doesn't you know, always happen in things. And so it was just a, a great experience for us, our kids. Um, and I couldn't have planned it, and yet God just worked it out. Right? And so there's always this hope, there's always this transformation that God is working and in the midst of this. And so I know some of you in this room are facing real struggles. And you may not be at that point where the supernatural fulfillment, it's evident, right? But God, like with David, is working and that we're walking with God so that we're ready when God is ready to bring that transformation. And so, again, is it financial struggles? Is it, you know, trying to raise your kids during COVID? Is it trying to keep a job during this time? I mean, the, the larger things that sit with us, is it that anxiety and depression that was so bad a year or two ago is even worse now? These are real struggles that Christians face. Again, the lament psalms are the most frequent kind of psalms in the, in the uh, book of Psalms because God's people suffer. And so David prayed this prayer, the psalm of lament, while he was in the cave. But the important thing we need to remember is that God does some of his best work in the cave. And in fact, we remember that uh, David was not the only person in the Bible to go into a cave to have this birth of a vision, a death of a vision, and then God's supernatural fulfillment, we see this with Jesus himself, right? He has this miraculous ministry. We see the work of God there, the spirit of God on him transforming him, and yet we celebrated earlier the night that he was betrayed. And not only was he betrayed by his friends and the outsiders, he was put to death on a cross, rejected by his people. And where did they put him? in a cave, in a tomb that had been carved out of a wall. And yet we know that God's best work is done in a cave. It was in those three days of waiting and that death. Again, it was not an immediate uh, transformation there, but God's miraculous work of life and resurrection, that hope of resurrection is the hope that we walk in. And it's that hope that we can experience the same reality that brought Jesus out of that cave is the reality that lives within us through the power of the Spirit. And so as we walk in that already and the not yet, we walk in true hope that God uh, doesn't cause evil, but in his mistress, mysterious world, he allows it to happen, and yet he walks with us through it, and he brings transformation in it. And so we live in that hope, as John uh, rightly says. I was going to say something that, find something that he said wrong to uh, tell you, as a, you know, that he, <laughs> I needed to correct it. But, I, uh, but no, I think that's really, that's the heart of the kingdom, is that already not yet. And uh, it's a tension that's so hard to live in. And so as we close, uh, we, I want to pray and, and, and give this prayer. I want to read this psalm, because again, it's not so much, uh, you know, the sermon, it's not so much the uh, ideas we have here. The real thing that you need to do when you walk out of here and you experience this is turn to these prayers. They're here to guide us in this. In fact, uh, I forgot to mention this. When Jesus was on the cross, he prayed a lament psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 follows the exact same pattern. Sometimes people are like, well, God... Uh, Jesus thinks God for, uh, rejected him and these things. It's like, no, the whole idea of a lament psalm is that you trust that God is carrying you through the hard time. And at the end of the Psalm 22, he speaks of the hope he has for the future. And so it's, it's not total despair and rejection Jesus had, but it's this confidence, even in the midst of suffering, that God is walking with you and in that. So as we close here... <clears throat> Uh, let's pray this psalm together, and then we'll have a time of ministry and worship.
Father, this is our prayer, our psalm of lament, when we are sitting in the cave. It may not be, Lord, that we feel like we're in the cave, and so we're not, maybe we're praying this for ourselves if we are. Maybe we're praying this for the sake of others who we know are in the cave. So, Lord, I cry out to you. I lift my voice up to you, Lord, for mercy. I pour out my complaint before you. Before you, I tell my troubles. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who knows my way. In the path where I walk, men have sent, hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and, my, and see no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. O gracious Father, as we experience death here in the cave, we know that some of your best work is done in the cave. We know that you bring life to the dead through your son whom you raise by your spirit. We pray for your strength here in our suffering. We pray for you to rescue us. And if you choose not to rescue us quickly, we will still wait in hope for David as he did for those 14 years. We wait in hope and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come as Christ returns. And we pray all these things to you, Father, and by your Son and through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So as you who are walking, those are on this path, a call, we have a time of ministry. This is what ministry is for, is for people that are on that path of suffering, that journey of struggle. That's uh, what ministry is for, is to find strength in the midst of it, but also transformation of it. Um, and then also is uh, those who have never experienced the life of Christ in the first place, right? That's a, a life Life is hard, right? Christians aren't immune from the difficulties of life, but we, we do have the strength of Christ and the power of the Spirit to walk us through that. And so I would call you to welcome you into experiencing this journey. And so we'll pray here and have uh, a time of ministry. I guess, shall I do the blessing and send us out? Or would you like to come and close, John? Uh, Everybody does this a little bit different. That's the, that's the beauty of Christianity. There is no one right way to do it, right? So you, we don't just make it up, but we also have a good bit of flexibility. So. so there are three points I feel like God wants to attend to. There were a couple of words before the service uh, for, for folks that are, are in need of the hope of the Lord, that God's hands are open. I feel like there's also a specific mm. call to ministry for those who are asking God for vision. We're coming sort of through this tension of the end of COVID and lockdown and, yeah. and what it means to live in this place, especially for those of you who have kids. Uh, they, they're not vaccinated, but you are, or what it means to go back to work. So this, mm -hmm. this sense of asking God, God, what does my life look like now? Asking God for vision. Yeah. For those that have had a death of a vision during this season, for God to redeem that. Mm. And then for those who are just in need of God to take them out of that death, I feel like there's three places of ministry. Actually, I want you to be on a prayer team this morning. Okay, I'll be uh, here. And, uh, specifically to pray for that. So for those of you who are here, as we're going to have some music behind so you can get prayer and just feel like nobody's going to be listening to you. We have some prayer teams here. Any emotional, physical, or spiritual need. Some of the, the words that we had before, we want you to come forward and get prayer. If you're online... For this week, we'd love for you to email prayer at missionvineyard.org to be able to begin to uh, uh, get prayer this morning, and somebody will be back in touch with you. Next week, we have a whole new platform starting online at uh, missionvineyard.online.church, and that'll have some other functionality for prayer as well. But for this Sunday, if you're online, go to uh, email someone at prayer at missionvineyard.org and somebody will get with you uh, very, very soon. We have folks that are ready to get back in touch with you and pray for you this morning. 
But for those of you who need prayer and you're here, God is asking you to come forward. God is saying, hey, I know about your vision. I know that it's died. I know that I have got vision for you. I know that I can deliver you in the midst of this if you're in the cave Come forward for prayer this morning. And if you don't have that relationship with Jesus where you can even say those things or hear those things, come forward. And God wants a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. So we bless you right now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to go out towards those things. To live in the tension, in the struggle, in faith that God has vision for you and life for you in the midst of the struggle and deliverance for you from the struggle.